podcast where best friends and next door neighbors, Willow and Lillian, spill the tea on murder, mysteries, and other things that go bump in the night. So get your favorite teacup ready and let's get into it. Welcome to Cruelty Podcast. This is Lillian, and with me is Willow. Hello. Hello. And I don't want to banter too much ahead of this episode, for this is some serious content, so we're going to be serious. Mm -hmm. But uh, then a little trigger warning, this uh, involves a child, and this is Survivor Month, so, you know, you can imagine this is going to be pretty rough. So if you're very sensitive to violence towards children, Mm -hmm. this is not the episode for you, and we are not offended if you do not want to listen to it. Because I am sensitive too, but I can't run away because I'm the host. Yep. (laughs) So, yeah, why don't we just go ahead and get right into it without any preamble? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Survivor Month. Um, Jennifer Shewitt was an amazing survivor. Um, Like you said, she was a child. She was eight years old. She was a brilliant eight-year-old. She was very remarkable. She lived in Dickinson, Texas, which is right around Galveston, um, like in between Galveston and Houston area. Um, Kind of a smaller town feel. She lived with her mother, Elaine, and it was just her and her mom. Her mom was a single mom. And she was actually working two jobs to uh, to make rent, but every last cent, every last cent, every last second was devoted to Jennifer. I mean, it was just Jennifer. I've been there. Um, and they were absolutely thick as thieves. They, they did everything together. Um, they were their entire world. And um, Jennifer was a very intelligent girl. She was very inquisitive. She was not scared of much at all except for the dark. And though she had her own bedroom, um, she slept with her mother. She didn't sleep in her room, um, which, yeah, my kids sleep with me anytime they want to. It doesn't matter. Yep. Children. I mean, they don't anymore because they're basically all adults now. But yeah, they did until they were like, like, they did until they were like 11, 12 absolutely. years old. Yeah, absolutely. Um but yeah, I don't like I heard different sources, but I don't believe she's ever slept in her own bed up until this point. Um, but <clears throat> um, August 10th, 1990, it's a very, very hot summer, very hot. And actually earlier that day, they had been out outside all day. Um, her mother, Elaine's parents had bought them a house they had noticed that their apartment was kind of in you know kind of a rough neighborhood and they were worried about the safety of Elaine and the young girl being on a ground floor apartment you know um not really having the capabilities of defending themselves like I mean that's the exact reason my grandfather bought me a house when I had Will yeah I mean It's such a blessing. It was. Whenever you have family that can do that, I've never been able to. I would be homeless right now if it Um, weren't for my grandfather's gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very grateful. And yeah, I think that's amazing. Um, and, And it was amazing for her. It was definitely something that, you know. It's she life changing. She, yeah, she definitely didn't take yeah. this for granted. And this was a, a foreclosure home. Um, so was mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you understand that she. There was a lot of things that needed to be done before they could move yes. in. Yes. So they technically owned this home. It was a distressed property. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine was so too. That day, um, August tenth, hot summer day, they actually went to the property to kind of like weed eat, um, manage the yard, kind of get some things done. And during the day, Jennifer was out playing and she got eat up with mosquito bites. And so that night, it was really hard for her to sleep. And her mom, working two jobs, you know, really needed her sleep. And she's exhausted. She's yeah. fucking exhausted. And so in the middle of the night, she was like, Jennifer, sweetie, you are keeping me up. Like, I can't sleep with you kicking and itching and fussing. And, and rolling. Yeah, 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 yeah. So she was like, she asked her, do you think tonight, would you mind sleeping in your room? She's eight years old. I'm assuming this has been, you know, kind of a topic of conversation leading up because all parents and children talk mm-hmm. about it. Um, and so she said to her mom, she said, because I love you. And she definitely understood. Like, you knew she understood. But she said, because I love you, I'm going to sleep in my own bed tonight. 
Oh, baby, how precious <laughs> is that? <laughs> Make me cry. <laughs> it was really hard not to cry. Because um, she, she, un- she genuinely understood. They do, though. She understood. They like, do understand. Mama is exhausted. They do understand. Mama works so hard, and I really, like, I, I get it. I'm kept up, you know. Oof. But Yeah. Yeah. So she understood. So she goes into her room. She has this, like, huge, like, cartoonically huge um, light bulb lamp. Like, it looks like a giant light bulb. I had a friend with one of those. It's plastic. Yeah. Yeah, It, like, uh, like shines really, really bright, like, illuminated her whole room. Yeah. So because she's scared of the dark, you know, that's why she was sleeping with her mom. She turned this light on, and it helped. It has, like, that really, like, warm orange glow to it. Yes, it does. Fucking soothing. Um, Her room was really adorable. Um, But, yeah, she goes in there, and she kind of sits down on the ground, and... um, she gets out all of her books and she gets out her piggy bank and she thinks, okay, if I read and I count my change, I'll get know, sleepy. Yeah, I'll get sleepy. That's so pitiful. It's so precious. She's so smart, though. I wouldn't have thought of that. Oh, I always drug out all my little books every yeah. night to read to myself. I would have brought yeah. out all my toys and stimulated myself awake and been ruined it. Yeah, yes. I, yeah. <laughs> ruined it. I was mischievous. Um, but yeah, she ended up. Um, counting her coins and reading her books and eventually dozed off. She didn't really realize that she had fallen asleep, but she just had fallen asleep. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden she's awakened by someone carrying her through her bedroom window and running with her down the sidewalk. My God, how scary. She sees that it's a man that she's never seen before. And as she tries to scream, he covers her mouth. So she can't. It's terrible. It's a nightmare. Absolute Literal. fucking nightmare. The first night she sleeps alone. Poor little thing. I know. I know. And her mama. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine. I know. My heart's beating so fast. Yeah, it's just, just her mom. I feel nauseous. I mean, for her too. But as a mama, oh my god. So he pulls her into his car, and he actually has her sit on his lap while he drives and kind of, like, holds her. Strong arms her, yeah. And tells her, it's okay, I'm an undercover police officer. He then um, is driving for a while, and he can tell she's very nervous. And from my perspective, I think he might have gotten a little nervous, too. He pulls over into what he thinks is a random school parking lot it's her school parking lot it's like where she goes to school she she just finished second grade she was looking forward to third grade it's august it's right before third grade they pull into her school parking lot and he just kind of sits there and he um tries to like like have a casual conversation with her and says it's okay he said look at the moon and the moon was like really big right there, like right, right there in the sky. And he said, when the moon turns a different color, your mother will be here to pick you up. So just watch the moon. And he continued to just drink and smoke cigarettes. And the whole time she's watching, like she's paying attention to every little detail the mm-hmm. entire fucking time. Incredible. Um, But she waited and waited and waited because he said that her mother was going to be there. And she knew that if anything, like her mother would be there in an instant. Yes. Fucking instant. So she kept waiting for headlights and headlights never came. And so finally, this is when she's starting to realize, okay, because like, okay, first of all, eight year old, second grade, 1990. This is during the time. The whole stranger danger shit. Stranger danger. I was just about to say that she had just gone through the stranger danger talks in school that previous year. So she knows all about this and she knows that police officers are people that you can trust. Yeah, but they also will tell you that people exactly. will pretend to be police exactly. officers. Exactly. So she had to, like, kind of gauge this entire situation up until right now. She's like, okay, well, if he's an undercover cop, then... Why are we here? Yeah, what is going on? Yeah. She's starting to be like, okay, this is kind of weird. Um, but he, you know, finished drinking his beers, and he said, well, I guess your mom isn't coming. 
So we put her back in the car and they drove off. And as they're driving down the road, she notices they pass by her grandparents' house. And she's like, hey, there's my grandparents right there. You could just drop me off right there. Yeah. And he was like, no, they're not home. But she saw their cars in the driveway. She knew they were home. So now she knows he's a liar. And as, like, because she was kind of, like, groggy, you know, as kids are, like, first waking up. She, when he was carrying her out of the bedroom window, she saw her mom's car in the parking lot. Like, she made a mental note of that. And made a mental note that her grandparents were home. So she's like, no, no, no. Like, the people that know and love me are right there. Are right there. I know they're there. So, yeah, this man is obviously lying about this. Um... They they drive down the road. He pulls over next to an empty field. Um, and she... This whole time, she's, like, asking him questions. Like, oh, yeah? Well, then what about this? Well, then what about this? Well, then what about this? And basically, she's like, you know, well, if you're an undercover cop, where's your badge? Where's your gun? Where's this? Where's that? Where's your identification? What's your name? And he ends up telling... He ends up telling her, like answering her questions all you know stupid and you know lying to her and stuff but eventually he's like when he pulls over he tells her that his gun and badge is in the back seat so she's like all right then and stands up to look in the back seat and that's when he attacks her so trigger warning i'm not going to go into any detail about the attack because she there's no information about it I'll just say that there's literally no information about what really happens other than... It hasn't been made public, which is... No, no. There's no information. Because as she's standing up and she's looking back in the back seat for his gun, he pulls a knife on her. God. And he... I'm not going to say what he does, but he then whispers in her ear, Are you scared, little girl? Am I scaring you? And before she knows anything, he is strangling her and basically trying to break her neck and trying to kill her by strangulation. My God. She goes out. She's out of... uh, She loses consciousness and doesn't remember the entire assault. All she remembers is coming to as he's dragging her naked body by the ankles across that field. My God. She knew that he thought she was dead. So she played dead. She didn't want him to know that she was even breathing. So while he's dragging her naked body across rocks and gravels and the grass and everything's itchy and and scraping her body. Like there is a picture of her face. Her face is all scraped up and everything just from being dragged. And she made no sound at all. And she was aware of all of it. Then he um, he took her beaten and bloody and cut up body into the middle of the field. And he placed her on an anthill, a fire anthill. Jesus fucking why? I'm not sure if he knew that there was a fire anthill. Yeah, it might have just been. It's Texas. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. Um, a lot of times, like, because this is in the dark right now, so oh, a lot it would of times have been hard it'll, to see. Yeah. It'll, it'll just appear as like a sandy area where there's no grass growing. Yes. So I'm assuming I don't know anything, but um, unless he unless he wanted to put her body on the anthill, f- thinking that maybe it would like speed up the decomp or something like that. I, don't I thought know. about that, but he didn't seem that clever. No, not at all. So I either way, he puts her body on a fire anthill, and. There she laid, alone, for about 14 hours. My God. He drove off and left her, and because she's so small and and naked, she blends in with the ground. Nobody saw her. She would lay there during this time, going in and out of consciousness. Um... She said that while she lay there, she had enough strength to lift up her arm up to her neck to feel that it was wet. She had a gaping wound. He'd cut her throat. Mm -hmm. When she touched it, she looked at her hand, and it was covered completely in blood. She tried to lift her head, but she couldn't. She tried to call out, but she couldn't. She couldn't make a sound. He'd cut her vocal cords. Absolutely. 
All she could do was just lay there and drift in and out of consciousness. She could see through the blades of grass. Uh, when she was first laying there at night, she could see headlights. And then during the daytime, she could also see that there were cars driving close by. I mean, it was very close to a road. Um, it was basically a vacant lot. Right. So um, she could see that help was right there. And she couldn't get to it. She couldn't do anything. Occasionally, a dog would come up and smell her and begin barking and calling over to its owner and alerting its owner, her. trying to help her. That's amazing. And she knew. She knew this dog was trying to help, but the owner didn't know. No, it just thought the dog was being squirrely. There's rabbits over there or something mm-hmm. like that. So the owner just kept calling the dog back and not checking. And, I mean, obviously, I would do the same thing. Um, yeah, we're not going to blame them for no, that. That's no. silly. But... She she knew that that dog was obviously trying to help her, but it was every time those ants were biting her. Oh my god! She, I mean, when she was when she was finally found, it was like thousands of ant bites Poor baby. all over her body. Poor little baby. Plus, she had all those uh, mosquito bites earlier that day, and I feel like there's a really strange like. It, there's some strangeness to that. I, I agree with you. I was just thinking that. There's something about bug bites in this story because it wraps up later at the end, too. It's very strange. Um, but it, it, there's so much writing on the fact that he put her on the anthill because not only is it keeping her conscious and keeping her awake and like the adrenaline's the keeping adrenaline her alive is, is also keeping her blood flowing and not coagulating or like oozing out or you know like she's not bleeding out there's so many different things that are going on i'm not a doctor i really can't specify but there's a lot going on here that these ants are literally fucking saving her life amazing um but she as the day went on and nobody found her, you know, the, the, it wasn't until like nightfall that anything really happened. She's, you know, going in and out of consciousness and she realizes that she's dying. This is active death. This is what happens. And she realizes that like, she's at complete peace. She is at complete peace. She, I think she, she definitely has always, you know, for the rest of her life, always had that want to catch him so that way he doesn't hurt anybody else but at this moment I think in her process of death she was okay and she as, feel as pain. almost dying a couple times I will tell you it's not yeah. as yeah. it's not scary y'all yeah. it was really peaceful for mm-hmm. me as well mm-hmm. it's something that your brain does for mm-hmm. itself it's mm-hmm. like Shh, it's yeah. all right you yeah chill it like rocks you <laughs> <laughs> thanks uh-huh. <laughs> So Jennifer's mother, Elaine, woke up that morning and Jennifer's room was empty and her window was wide open. I would lose my mind. Yeah, her world ended in that That's moment. exactly how I would feel. I think it would kill me. Crippling. I think it would kill me. Uh, absolutely. I would have a heart attack. Because she's a survivor, too. Yeah. Because oh, I'm not yeah. strong like that. Oh, that yeah. Something happened to one of my babies, and Absolutely. I'm down. I'm out. I can't. They spent all day searching. Um, and, like, the, the police task force was so small because it's such a small town. Like, they had to get, like, the FBI in on this. Like, it was a, an immediate thing. And they began search right away for her. Um, and I think the search was about 12 hours long. And it was beginning to get dark. And some children that happened to be playing tag in that field, she could see them. She could hear children laughing she just all day. She just couldn't or yell couldn't out move. to them or move. So she knew that these children were playing over in this field next to her. And one of the children was running and tripped over her foot. Oh, my God. And when they first saw the foot after they tripped, they were like, oh, it, it was like their friend hiding. And then they looked up and realized... Oh, and so the children ran to tell their parents. The parents got the authorities, 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 and um, the police immediately tried to comfort her when they found her. But remember, she was attacked by a quote-unquote undercover police officer. Yeah, I wouldn't be cool either. She was not. She was not okay. I'd with be this. flipping out. She was absolutely from the jump, from the very beginning. Um, 
they obviously tried to comfort her as best as they could. They got her air flighted out. She was obviously beyond traumatized by now. Um, so although she can't move, she wants to run. She's just terrified and she doesn't know like if any of them could be him. Yeah. She doesn't know if maybe they're in on it. She doesn't know if, well, if he lied about being a police officer, maybe the doctors are lying, too. Well, you would think that because right. you should be able to trust the police. Right, exactly. So now that she can't trust one of them, now she can't trust any of them. So um, they get her into surgery and they see that she has been cut from ear to ear across the neck. She had severe hemorrhaging to the eyes. Her eyes were completely blood, like completely blood red, except for her little blue irises. And um, being so young and naked, they assumed that she had been assaulted and left for dead. They really didn't think that she was going to make it. They like the police assumed that this was going to be a homicide, a homicide. Yeah. Um, and they were preparing for it to be a homicide. But they, you know, had to at least try, and they definitely had faith. So um, she was after the surgery she was hospitalized um obviously in like critical condition and they during the surgery they realized that none of her major blood arteries or blood vessels were ruptured her trachea was ruptured her um her vocal cords were completely gone like her entire vocal box was completely destroyed um they thought that she would never ever ever speak again um, they basically had to, you know, close up the laceration, put in a tracheotomy and hope for the best. That's all they could do. And because, because of the trauma, she was so uncomfortable with any men around her. They, it just so happened that there was a nurse working that night. Um, a, a woman that also had an eight year old daughter. And so she knew how instantly, to do. Instantly, instantly was like, hey, I'm your mama now for right now. <laughs> you yeah. know? And and it it became a really amazing bond that even even after, you know, she was stabilized and her mother was able to come to the hospital to be by her side, this nurse was still, you know, it was almost like she got an extra auntie or something that night. Um, but I'm just so thankful that this nurse was able to be there for her. Because... Uh, I don't know how she would have been able to make it through the night with her heart racing and, you know, being so terrified and in that state trying to heal. It's anyways, she had several blessings working in her favor. Um, Sharon McBride was the nurse and she took absolute care with, of her and, um, yeah, just was an absolute angel for her. Once she was stable enough, her mom came in to visit and, she knew, they all knew that she had seen the attack. The attack. Yeah. She, she had information that they needed to get in she order couldn't to... couldn't talk. Um, yes. So, and she wasn't comfortable with talking to men. Any of the police officers, any of the um, FBI agents, they were all men. And so she talked to her mother about it. And then her mother... She would write it on these note cards. Like, she just was given, like, a notebook or a stack of paper. And she would answer her mother's questions, like, actively while writing. That's amazing. It was an amazing thing. Um, I'm going to put some of the some of the, the pictures mm -hmm. of the notes that she was writing. It's so... It's so heartbreaking seeing it in an eight-year-old's handwriting. That's why I'm only going to post, like, maybe a couple. But um, some of them, some of them said, he said his name is Dennis, and she even misspelled it and then corrected herself. She says, I was asleep. A man opened my window and grabbed me. He said he was an undercover cop slash big gun. And I think this is part of their active conversation. You can kind of see how she's, like, answering questions mm -hmm. on these papers as well. Um, one of them says, he, he said, I don't have a gun or a badge right now. He had white glass. He was white, had glasses, um, a plastic brown pocket knife, black mustache. He was in his 30s. 
an eight-year-old yeah. was able to identify that he was in his 30s. Like, Amazing. all of this, all of this, like, years later was clarified as absolute truth, absolutely correct. People underestimate children I'm just all amazed. the time. I'm amazed. Yeah, they know what's up. Um... She then writes down what she was wearing. She was wearing a pink shirt, um, and she wrote down, like, you know, what her underwear looked like and everything for them to find later on. Um, She wrote, and he asked me if I wanted some candy, and I said, no way, in big letters. Bless her little heart. No, because that's what they told her. They tell you, uh -uh. Mm uh-uh. Mm-hmm. She even indicated that he had two types of cigarettes with him. One was a gold and white pack, and some of the packages were red and white. He said, she wrote down, uh, the man dragged me to a big field. She drew a spot where she laid and then wrote, I'm in pain. Oh, baby. Oh, that's rough. She then drew a sketch of the road that she remembers as she as he drove and where he parked and where that is he walked amazing an 8 year old um she she even drew like the spot like where she thinks her body was laying she she even thought that she remembered a spot on his face where he had a scar and drew like an outline of his face and where the scar would have been um She wrote, he choked me as hard as he could. Yes, in the car, as if her mother was asking. You could tell that she was, like, still in active conversation when she said, no. He said that he worked at the garage and the Dixon police and the Galveston police. And it was even, like, very specific that he worked at these different places. Like, he worked at a mechanic garage as well as these two other police stations. And he told her that first part because he knew he was going to kill her. Exactly. He said that, uh, she said that he was wearing blue jeans and a black shirt, and then she remembered the brand of cigarettes, and she wrote marble really big. Um, She even indicated that um, he was drinking Bud Light, she even indicated that he, that the car that he was driving um, was a two-door, a quote-unquote bluish yucky color, and it had dents in the side. And this this is very important information because it'll come up in a second. A traumatized eight-year-old. A traumatized eight-year-old having gone through surgeries is on medication currently right now. Her poor mama having to read that from her baby. I can't. She has a trach in her throat. And she's still like, give me the paper. I have to get this out. Like, she wants to tell them. Good. She's like, I need to say this. I need to. And you can tell she's, like, scribbling fast. And there's even, like, scribble marks on it because you can tell she's very... She has such a big personality. She's amazing. Um, But... Jennifer, um, yeah, Jennifer made it her mission from the very second of this incident that she was going to remember every single detail. And she did her entire life. And um, she, they had a sketch artist come in and they had to specifically get this one um, female sketch artist and they had to fly her in and everything. And it was perfect. She was the perfect woman for the job. She was actually very new to the field. She was like a, like actually a painter and um, got into sketch artists, uh, got into becoming a sketch artist for like to help victims like because of her heart like that's why she's in it she really is just a oil painter and so that's cool she was really amazing i think she was like a couple months in and she said that none of the police officers were really taking her seriously um but she called she was called in because of her um her warm nature not just because she's a female because she was a warm person and that she was going to be able to get through to a traumatized child mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so she brought out this book and it has like it's a book of facial features and it goes through like hair I have seen it yeah yes very interesting very very interesting that's how sketch artists do okay so she brought this book and they went through every single detail started at the top of the head all the way down and she very actively was able to point out every characteristic um was able to point out every detail show her exactly where the scar was that she saw and um it was, I mean, it took years to solve this case, but it was a perfect match. Dead ringer. Dead ringer. Amazing. And then she was asked to do the car. And the, the woman said, 
cars are the one thing I hate the most to draw. <laughs> She's like, I hate Same sister. Cars. Don't like drawing cars either. <laughs> no, no. She was like, I am the worst at drawing cars. And they even spent hours just trying to get the right color. She was mixing paint colors to get the right color. Amazing. And Jennifer was like pointing to whether or not it needed to go lighter. Because remember, darker. y'all, they did not have the internet back there. They couldn't have just shown her pictures of cars. It's 1990. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't this amazing? It is amazing. Isn't it amazing? She even got the dents right. Oh, that's cool. Just amazing. Um, So, so a couple days after the incident, officers were canvassing the area and found the clothing that the man had discarded out the window. Um, It was a few blocks away from the crime scene, and these clothes matched what Jennifer said that she was wearing as well as what she said that the man was wearing. Um, They did take DNA testing, or they did take DNA from this to the lab, but because DNA testing was so new, you had to have such a large sample back then. You did, yes. um, That it was inconclusive. Mm Mm-hmm. And they did keep the clothing um, and evidence, yes. but with no leads, the case went cold. Yep. And I, like, just have to take two seconds to just breeze through that because, like, this eight-year-old had to go back to school to that exact same parking lot, had to go back to school with a trach in her throat. And I mean, there was there was police officers that went with her and she was escorted, but she had to go back there day in and day out. And she was determined to do it for the safety of her peers. She wanted to speak out. She she said that, you know, this man tried to take my voice away. You know how she got her voice back? This is oh. this just like tells you about her character. So she was in the hospital, and there was this like infamous photo of her. I'll post it. But she's sitting on, uh, or she's laying in the bed with all the tubes and the things, and you know she's in really rough shape. And she has a bag of M and M's on her chest. She can tell she's been somehow eating these M and M's. And her mama said that she couldn't have any more chocolate, and she wanted more M and M's, and. Um, her uncle was in the room and she got so frustrated. She knew her uncle would give her chocolate if her mama (laughs) says she can't have chocolate. And so, um, she squeaked. She made a squeaky sound with her vocal cords. Her vocal cords at that moment just like kind of was like, no, I want some goddamn chocolate. (laughs) And I feel that she, Yeah. yeah, she was able by the next day, like throughout the night, her vocal cords healed. That's a miracle. And the next day, she was able to talk. Miracle. And she said from then on out. Never shut up. She never shut up. Good. Don't ever. She, yeah, I know. I know. I'm, like, trying not to cry because I'm don't just do so it. fucking proud of her. Um, yeah. With... It would be about 20 years. Before they'd catch before her? Before they actually... Motherfucker. 20 years. Jennifer just continuously was just a loud beacon of like resistance you know what I mean yes um because she doesn't know who this guy is she doesn't know if like when they did finally find him and I'll get to it obviously in a second but when they did finally find him she was relieved that he wasn't a family member or somebody that he that she knew that was around all the that time that was around all the whole time, time right that would have been that terrible that was something that she was thinking about I don't blame um, her absolutely I, I definitely understand the feeling um but she continued to to allow the space for other people. Her big thing was to let other people know that they can fight for their own justice as well. And so there's a lot of children that even to this day that were children at the same time as her that were able to speak up like kids at her school would come to her and say, hey, I'm in a bad situation. I see that you got out of a bad situation. How do I do I this? I love that. That's amazing. You know, she she changed. She still changes lives. Um But yeah, coincidentally, almost 20 years later, Houston FBI Special Agent Richard Renison and Dickinson Police, the the town that it happened in, Dickinson Police Detective Tim Cromie, these two guys, this FBI officer and this police officer, have been best friends for years, right? They hang out all the time. They were just hanging out like they always do, talking about shit. And they were like kind of 
looking back on this case and like not necessarily reminiscing, but like, you know, they were just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, Like chewing it over. Like, what do you think that we could do about this? Because he was the, the police officer was trying to specialize in cold cases. And at that exact moment, while they're talking about it, um, the police officer, or the FBI agent, um, Agent Renison, got a memo that the FBI child's abductive rapid development team were seeking um, abduction cases that had gone cold. So immediately he entered into the DNA database. And and so because DNA was so new at that time. Now it's better. Really high tech by the time we get into like 2019 era. yeah, yeah, that was the first case to go through. And it took about a year of DNA analysis and all of this, but something finally hit in CODIS. A man named Dennis Earl Bradford. She was right about Dennis. She was this whole time. He um, was a 40-year-old welder in Little Rock, Arkansas. He had prior offenses already, which got him in his face in CODIS, for kidnapping and assault. Shocking, said no one. Exactly. He had just been released around 2000 after spending um, four four years on a 12-year sentence. He had assaulted a woman at knife point in 1996, um, pretty much a near identical way that he assaulted Jennifer, only it was uh, an adult woman instead of a child. Um, He also had a previous charge dating back to six months after Jennifer's assault in 1991 when he had assaulted a woman that he was harassing at a bar. What a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. Right around that time, he also got married. Which is just, I know. And then he ended up going on. I mean, I really just don't care about this man. But he ended up going on to have children. And then whenever he had the second assault charge was when that wife ended their relationship. Um, And then he ended up getting another wife. And then that wife was with him whenever they found him. Um, Feel sorry for her. I really do. I really do. Because everybody that knew this man, like, you know, whenever he was arrested, um... They all say that he was just a good guy. Of course they do. You know? One of the... Because there was, like, an, a whole interview done with all of the people in his community in Little Rock. And, um, you know, one guy was like, my grandkids hang out with that man all the time. Oh, you know? God. And it's like, he never... Apparently, he never did anything except for, quote, unquote. But, you know, it's like, it's always... It's always the unassuming Mm-hmm. And that was that was always a word. Well, just describe. like with victims, perpetrators come in all types. All types. Yes, they do. It's just, I guess it, it gives it the extra eerie factor when it's somebody that you would trust upon looking at. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, but yeah, they, they wanted to make sure before actually catching this guy that, um, that it was the guy. Right. I mean, obviously they had his name, they had his DNA. They pulled up his driver's license to be sure to see if it would match the sketch. Identical. Like, uh, identical. Like, ridiculously identical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it looks like people, like the officer even said that it looks like his driver's license photo was the reference photo. That's amazing. Um, he, they pulled up the addresses that he had around 1990, and they were blocks away from Jennifer's apartment. Um his mother happened to have a vehicle that he would use. You used your mother's he fucking car, you piece of shit. Car. Sorry, yes. y'all. That just makes me mad. And it's identical. Like, I, identical. I feel so sorry for his mother, because imagine. I know. I know. Imagine. I know. Um, cops arrested him October 19th, 2009. I said 2019 earlier. I realized that I yeah. meant 2000. I know you did. Um, yeah, math and numbers and stuff. It's not great. No. no. Um, but Dennis was actually pulled over on a warrant, and he had his wife in the car and everything, and so he thought he was just getting in on a warrant. Um, they took him back to the station for questioning, and they asked him if, they, if he knew who Jennifer Shewitt was. He said yes. They said, how do you know who she is? He said, well, that he lived in the area and that he remembers her being on the news for having gone missing. And um, 
And he was like, I, I prayed for her. I'm sure you did. You sure you fucker. did. Officers asked him if he ever had any, any contact with Jennifer. And he said, no comment. To which the officer said, oh, man, I wish you could see her now. You'd be really proud of her. Did he think she was dead? Oh, yeah. Amazing. He, oh, he was in absolute shock. He looked at them and he said, she's alive and began weeping, sobbing. I love that. Oh, fuck you, guy. I, okay, in the links for this, I have videos of this because you really should see this man cry. Because... Um, fuck him. Um, he goes on to say that, like... He's, you know, an animal and he doesn't know why he did this, all this stuff. Okay. Thinking that, you know, maybe his tears would, I don't know, wash away everything. But no, they don't. We don't give a fuck. No, we really don't. Um, He, in the interrogation, he did mention to police that after the incident with Jennifer, he did try to commit suicide. He said that he wasn't strong enough for it. Um, But... So when they took him into custody, because he had openly admitted that he did that. Um, and so when they took him in and booked him in and everything, they put him under suicide watch. Jennifer, even when they told her about it over the phone, Jennifer very specifically said, put that man under suicide watch. Like, do not let him. Don't let him kill himself. No, because mm-hmm. her main thing was that she wanted to stand up and say her victim impact statement eyes to eyes with this motherfucker. She wanted to go look at him. She wanted to go see him as an adult and say, look, I fucking lived. But she wouldn't get that chance. God damn it. Because seven months into him being in jail, um... For whatever reason, they moved him to general population, and um, he hung himself May 10th, 2010, just a few months before the 20th anniversary of the attack. Makes me mad. Now, the attack happened on August 10th, which this episode should air August 9th. Um, So, listeners, just be aware that, you know. It's almost the anniversary. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, On August 10th, 2010, a few months after he committed suicide, she decided that on the 20-year anniversary, um, she was going to say her victim impact statement. Wonderful. Because that was also the day that the court was supposed to take place as well, um, which I just think is, you know. A little strange. Amazing. So, um, yeah. So she took her victim impact statement to his grave. And she looked at him as much as she could face to face. And she read, Dennis Bradford. I waited 19 years, two months, and three days to find out your name and for you to be caught. You chose the wrong little 45-pound, eight-year-old girl to try to murder because for 19 years, I thought of you every single day and helped in searching for you. In my heart, I knew you were out there, alive, either in prison or living a lie. And now I know, listening to my own heart, all these years and never giving up on finding you I was right hell yes that is amazing don't you cry stop it (laughs) she went on to fall in love good to a man named Jonathan Martinez he had actually been there date like they were dating during the like when they reopened the cold case, they happened to be dating. And so he was there by her side. He was, you know, that male comfort that she needed to kind of balance everything out and make it okay. And he, man, he was there for her. Quit. Every single second. <laughs> no, sorry, I just killed The me. two of them got married in uh, 2014. Um, and even though her body was so badly damaged by the assault, um, the doctors knew that she wasn't going to be able to give birth, um, at least vaginally, and they were concerned that she wasn't even able to bring um, a child full full term. She gave birth to two children. Good. Jenna and Jonah and via C-section, but, yeah. 
She was able to have her family. She was able to have her life. She got past her trauma to she be able to have a relationship. You she know, wants everybody to know man. that she is a survivor, that she will use her voice to help and encourage others and also seek justice for violent crimes against them as well. She wants to help everyone seek their justice, no matter how cold the case is. Amazing. Amazing woman. Amazing Hell woman. yes. Amazing eight-year-old child. I cannot fathom the strength it took. You know, and the thing is, is that it, we're all capable mm-hmm. and we're all... I know me and you are survivors yeah. of, yeah. Uh, of uh, for me, child sex abuse and domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have lots of sexual assaults. I have some of those, too. And, and domestic violence. And uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of terrible stuff. And you don't know what strength you have until yeah. you're faced with it. Yeah. And no, bu- no eight-year-old child should ever be faced. No, nobody should ever be faced with, with that from the hands of another person. It's, yeah. it's just disgusting. And. And that she got to have her life is great because I got to have mine too. And you do too. And that's what surviving is really about. It's not just living past the moment. It's able to go on. Right. And not live in the moment forever. Right. Because it's so easy to live in the moment. Oh, man. There's something that happens to your brain when you experience trauma. And so... It wants to keep you right there. Absolutely. I mean, in the moment, it may shield you, but it will come back to haunt you repeatedly over and over. It doesn't go away. No. And you have to actively work really, really hard. And we'll we'll have some resources in this episode link. Yes. 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 And if you need them, by all means, please. Um, And, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, we will always listen. Mm-hmm. I may not be able... Hey, if Lillian's were podcast rich, I would do all the help in the world. Unfortunately, I don't even have a running vehicle. But if I could, I would. But I can at least point you in the direction of some help. Yeah, absolutely. And if you need it. If you're scared and, you know, clicking links is too much, do reach out. It's LillianAsterius at iCloud.com. And it is at least a familiar voice that's been there. Yeah. But we're here to help as much as we can. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we're, we're right there with, with y'all. Oh, yeah. It's just really rough. But I'm all right. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Rough. Because, you know, we're moms. Mm-hmm. And we've mm-hmm. survived childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And... Yep. I'm a really visual thinker, so that just yep. hurt my feelings, the yep. whole thing. But I want to move on to a very brief business time, just so I can stop boohooing a little bit. But that is, we have a new tier on our Patreon. It's only a dollar. That's all I'm going to say about it. You can go to our Patreon and find out. I don't like to commercialize episodes like this too much. But I wanted to say something nice to get me out, because I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to end with me incoherently blubbering, and that's not good radio, is it? No. And I want to also thank you all for listening. Whether you're in the United States, uh, you're in Australia or Ireland or the UK or Mexico or Malaysia. We've gotten so many listeners from around the world. And it's so cool. You know, we are just some nobody witches from Arkansas. That's we right. We know nothing about the world. Junior college dropout. And it just, it, it warms my heart. To know, I see y'all know in New York, okay? People, New York, New York. People in Africa, people in like Australia. Sweden. And, and Norway. All these different places south america israel like, hey y'all what yeah i've never we're charting in israel great. I know. it's almost like i get to travel and be these places like i mean it'd be way cooler if i could really literally cool. physically go but, i want to go to malaysia and eat all your food yeah. actually i just want to go to every country and just be like bring the food of your lands <laughs> yes, to me yes i'm fat and i like eating but uh no i appreciate all of you listening yeah. and it's like we're friends now mm-hmm. that's how i feel it just you know it i i wasn't a kid that was listened to much i was of the generation you were seen and not heard i mean i was um, talking but nobody was listening I, no no uh-uh. and so to to have people listen to you and listen to your heart and listen to what you're passionate about it's very validating um, for sure yeah yeah and another thing I like talking about, because, you know, the United States political climate is fraught, to say the least. We are very divided here. Everybody thinks that if you live in the South, that you are a ding-dong dummy. <laughs> you know, you're wearing the overalls, you got the triple X jug, two, you're an idiot. 
y'all, there's lots of us here. Mm-hmm. There's lots of me and Willows. Mm-hmm. It's just, we have to be careful because we will get hurt. Yeah. But there are people, like, I just hate when I hear people from, like, the either coast or the north in general, and they're like, oh, southern people are all dumb and racist. Y'all, do you know how many black people live here? Okay, can you sh- not? I hope this helps. There is there is an overwhelming amount of racism that is deadly. Yes. Terrifying. Yes. And it is all around but us. But help us by listening to the marginalized voices in the South. Yeah. So when you listen to this podcast, maybe try and find some people of color from the South that have a mm-hmm. podcast, indigenous people in the South that, you know, make content and consume that because yeah. we're not all a bunch of hayseed racist no, we're, we're just scared of them so we hide they are violent and scary yes there are literal white power like racist yes. billboards in a town 45 minutes from where I live mm-hmm. and I mean I have a trans husband they would really like to make him unalive so I just I appreciate that you are listening from around the world and on in, in Los Angeles and in New York New York so cool to me because I've been to both places. I love both places very much, and it's just cool. And I think it's neat. <laughs> it's neat. And I do like feel, it. Do you feel better? I do. Okay. I had to. I'm sorry. I, I had to ramble I a little know, bit. I sorry. Know. It's okay. It this hurt me really, really hard. To it, it was a it was a lot of breaks that I had to take, and Ooh. even just like studying for it. Yeah, it's uh, tomorrow's um, going to be a bit of a palate. Cl- well, it's a very it's, awful yeah. event. Um, all of these are awful events, but it is a cool survival story in that it broke Guinness World Records and still has to this day. And we'll have an it's additional a little little teaser. Episode. Um, on our extra tier. Yes, we'll do a little episode. little chit and chat about mm-hmm. the episode afterwards. Y'all are welcome to our Discord if you have problems, because sometimes the link expires, even though I try and refresh it a lot. Uh, please just email us or message us on social media, and we will send you a better link to the Discord. But mm-hmm. come talk cases with us. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But thank you all for listening. We love you, and we'll see you next time. Night. Find us on your social media platform of choice. Linktree slash cruelty has all of the links. Check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, merch, ad-free episodes, live ghost hunts, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie Beaton.